It's Labor Day. And uh, I'll tell you, every Labor Day or Memorial Day, I'm like ready to hear from the Lord. One time, years ago, I was walking through church on, I think it was Labor Day. And uh, a guy in our church said, um, hey, uh, you excited about today? And I go, not really. It's Labor Day. A lot of people are going to be gone today. So, yeah. And I, and I left that conversation. It was just really like an impassing conversation. And I walked away from him, and I felt like the Lord said, what would you just say? And I was like, nothing, Lord. I didn't say anything. Uh, because every time we come to worship, God speaks. And so, I, like, from that moment on, I thought, okay, Lord, if I'm ever a pastor, I wasn't a pastor at the time, I said, I will preach on Labor Day and Memorial Day every time. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I preach every one of these days. Because I expect God to move today. Now, if you have your Bibles, we're in Ezra. So turn, to, turn with me to the book of Ezra. Now, last week, we were looking at chapter 4 and lo- noticing the opposition that had come, around, come about as God's people served him. And, and, and chapter 4 is kind of like that, you know that show, This Is Us? I don't know if you ever saw that show. My wife got into that, and I would watch it a few times. And, and it was always going backwards in time, you know, like, like you never could figure out, is this like present day or past? Or, and, and Ezra 4 is kind of like that. He kind of does some flashbacks on other generations and as this journey of the temple uh, rebuild was underway. And in in chapters 5 and 6, we're going to see how God's people completed the task. And I'll tell you, it's it's significant for us today. And, 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 And I think it's significant to pay attention to the progression in Ezra. Okay, let's not, let's not, let's not overlook this. Because in the book of Ezra, remember, God's people were in rebellion. They had rebelled against God, and they were coming back to the Lord. And what do they do first? They rebuild the temple first, and then they rebuild the city. That's what's going on in the culture of God's people. Now, I think that's significant because we all want to be used by the Lord, don't don't you? I want our church to be, be used by the Lord in this city and in this world, in our nation. I want to be right in the middle of God's will. And I want to be serving the Lord with passion and, and faithfulness. And, and I want us as a body to go, we, we serve the Lord in our generation. And let's notice the progression. They got their worship right. They got right with the Lord. They got back to the word of God. And that always happens with God's people before they make a greater impact. Let's not forget that progression. I think it's significant. And, 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 you know, walking with the Lord is critical at every time in our lives, every point in history, every season of life, walking with the Lord, whether you're a young married today or a, you're a um, senior adult couple, regardless of where you are, whether you're single or young, old, every season is important to walk with the Lord. But, but, but you know, these Old Testament stories, it's interesting how our modern-day churches kind of overlook the Old Testament. We tend to just be in the New Testament, but 1 Corinthians 10 reminds us that, that these Old Testament stories are examples for us. And, 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 and what you see in Ezra is a very important moment when God's people come back to his word in spite of the cultural tensions that are around them. That's so very significant. That's so very relevant 
in the culture we are living in that looks at, at, at evangelical Bible-believing Christians and say, hey, you need to update your book here. Your book's not relevant anymore. We're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, no. We understand from this Old Testament story that 1 Corinthians 10 moves us to look back on and learn from these stories to go, wait a minute, what's the big lesson here? They were coming back to the Word of God. And, and, and you know, we, we know the power of the Word of God. It's our only offensive weapon in the spiritual battle, isn't it? Ephesians 6. It's, a, it's the only offensive weapon we have as, as a follower of Christ. And Hebrews chapter 4 says the Word of God is living and active. Hey, let me tell you something. We serve a God that's alive. He is living, and his word is living and active. Hebrews 4.12 says it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is powerful. And you know, as I think about how the Bible describes itself, it's interesting. Uh, just, just consider what the Bible says. This isn't in your notes, I don't think, but, but, but the Bible is given by the inspiration of God. That's what the Bible is. Second Timothy, Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. The Bible is the very words of God. In First Thessalonians two thirteen, the it, it's all we need to know. God is right here, Luke sixteen twenty nine and 31. It's the perfect guide for life, the Bible is, according to Proverbs 6.23. It's flawless, according to Proverbs 35 and 6. It's perfect, according to Psalm 19.7. It's precious, Psalm 19.10. It's powerful that we just read Hebrews 4.12. Look, the Bible is, is a gift, and God moves his people back to it over and over again all through history. And that's why we need to recognize this. Now, we're trying to memorize Ezra 7.10. So let's work on it. Okay, stand with me. And let's look at Ezra 7.10. Now, now as we're memorizing this verse, let's, recognize, let's remember the, the a good practice and memorization is you always say the reference, the verse, and then the reference. That helps you get the address in your mind, and that's, that's helpful for us. So let's say it together. Ready? Here we go. Ezra 7.10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Ezra 7.10. One more time. Ezra 7.10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Ezra 7, 10. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now, um, boy, I want that in our heart. I want that verse in our heart. You know, in Ezra chapter 5, Open your Bibles there and let's, let's dig into this because there, there's no question for, for us right now that, the, that culture is changing so rapidly, right? I mean, it has been since the Industrial Revolution. I mean, I mean you remember prior to the Industrial Revolution, we would measure change by the, by the century? Then after the Industrial Revolution, we started measuring change by the decade. Oh, that's the 20s, the 30s the 40s, the 50s. Now, here we are in 2021, we measure change by your iPhone update or something. I mean, it's so rapidly changing. Culture is changing. 
And we see this over and over again. And, and, and when you look at the story of Ezra, you're seeing this massive opposition from culture. So let's do a recap of kind of where we've been in Ezra so far. Ezra 1 tells the story of the, of the second exodus. That's when, when God's people, remember they were in rebellion, they were in Persia and Babylonia and Babylonian captivity and, and, and these cultural wars were going on, these political wars, these armies were, were capturing one another. Israel is this people group that were stuck between these fists of opposing armies. And, and yet here, the king Cyrus, the king of Persia, takes over Babylon, and, and Ezra 1 describes Cyrus saying, hey, go, I want you to rebuild the temple. And, and this second exodus takes place. Remember the first exodus when, was when they left Egypt, and the Bible says in Exodus that they, they pillaged the Egyptians. And, and essentially, they, the Egyptians paid them to go. Well, you see the same thing happening in Ezra. The, the Persians are paying them to go build the temple, and they can't believe it because it's a direct fulfillment of the prophet Jeremiah and Isaiah to the day. That's Ezra 1. And Ezra 2, 50,000 people sign up and say, we're going to take the journey and walk all the way back to Jerusalem. And they do. Ezra, Ezra 3 was when the, the altar was rebuilt. Remember? Ezra 3, they rebuild the altar and, and they worship the Lord. They finally have sacrificed. They get right with the Lord. They come back and they say, Lord, we, we ask for forgiveness of our sins from generations past. And then last week we saw Ezra 4 as, as here they are. They're, they're rebuilding the temple. They built the altar. Now they're rebuilding the temple. And they have all this opposition. And it's sense because they're right in the middle of God's will. You wouldn't think in listening to some TV preachers that when you're in the middle of God's will, you wouldn't have opposition, right? No. When you're in the middle of God's will, get ready for opposition, right? And so that's what's going on. Ezra 4, the construction ceases. They stop working on it because it's so intense. And then you see in uh, Ezra 5 and 6, it tells us how the construction started again, and they were listening and obeying the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. You know, in this series, you ought to go back and read Haggai and Zechariah, because that's what this time is talking about, and those prophets, and it's interesting, as, they, as, as they, this generation comes back to obeying the prophets, what happens? They prosper. They start prospering, and, and in fact, in Ezra 5 and 6, you see two instances where God's people are prospering. Now, let's get this right. We're not talking about their, their checkbook's always full, or they're not dealing with health issues, or, or they're not facing struggles. No, we know the opposition that's coming their way. But in the midst of the opposition, in the midst of the struggles, in the midst of a culture that's fighting against them, what is happening in the lives of God's people? They are prospering. Look at Ezra 5.8. Look at this. Look at Ezra 5.8. Be it known to the king, we went to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God. It is being built with huge stones and timber is laid in the walls. The work goes on diligently, and look at this, and prospers in their hands. In spite of the opposition, in spite of a, a culture going, we're going to destroy you, we're going to take you down, look, God's work continues. Look at Ezra 6, 14. The elders of the Jews built 
and look at this, and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. They finished their building by decree by decree of God of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. You know what's interesting about that list of names? You know what that's describing? That's describing, that's a generational list. That shows that God's work is prospering regardless of who's leading. Well, let's let that sink in for a second. You realize the work of God will prosper when God's people come back to his word regardless of who is leading. Let's think about that in our nation. That's why right now in every country, regardless of the political environment, you see the work of God advancing. Let's not miss this. Now, all through the Bible, Old and New Testament, we see a direct correlation, and I don't want us to miss this. We see a direct correlation between honoring what God says and prospering both in this life and the next. You see a direct correlation with there, with, with those two things. And, and God's people prosper when they keep his word, and this is a profound doctrinal truth. I don't want you to miss this. So, so let's, let's recognize that as we face the pressure to update our Bibles. That God's people, we see in the time of Ezra, they are, they are prospering. This is an historic lesson that we've got to continually keep in front of us because we've learned to trust the Word of God, haven't we? We have learned to submit to what God says, right? We've learned this. We're learning this, and, and we, we can be confident in what God says, regardless of the pressures that culture brings our way. And these are profound realities. And, and, and you know what? One of the reasons why I will, if I have a conversation with a, a non-believer that is like, I don't know why you believe the Bible. Why do you believe God's Word? Why do you believe this is the Word of God? And fulfilled prophecy is one of those reasons and you can't look at the book of Ezra and Nehemiah and go, oh my goodness, this is so crazy cool because this is God keeping Jeremiah 29.10 and Isaiah 45. I mean, th- th- this, is, th- this happened hundreds of years before they, they showed up. And Isaiah uses the name Cyrus before Cyrus was even born. Folks, this is one of those moments that you go, dude, God's word is relevant and cool, and interesting, and right. Now, point number one is this, and this is just uh, something I kept coming back to. Do you realize that prophets help us wake up to the plans of God? And this is, I want you to, I want to be awake to God's plans. I want to wake up to the God, to, 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 to God's plans for, for not only, not only the history of the world, but our world, our history. And, And let's not forget that God does exactly what he says he'll do. He is faithful. And in Ezra, people are confident, and you see their confidence grow because in, in the face of this difficult opposition, God keeps his word, and God keeps moving. And, and, and I know that we can read the book of Ezra in a couple of minutes. In 20 minutes, you could read the book of Ezra. But we got to recognize, and, and sometimes we do that. We don't read the Bible correctly, and we just read it so quickly. And, and, and the truth is, this is describing some generational movement. 
like uh, in our culture, we're used to instant movement, aren't we? I mean, if the drive through slow, we're like, what a sorry restaurant, right? And we bring this, this same instantaneous mentality into our thinking of God. We often you know, want the Lord to work in our timing. Lord, you're not moving fast enough here. You didn't answer that prayer fast enough. And let's recognize that the book of Ezra is describing this, this, this uh, generational movement of God in the lives of his people. Look, there are times we have to wait for God to move. That I know in our country we pray for a new president every four years, right? But God moves generationally. And you see through all of these leaders, even those that are pagan leaders, you see this providential hand of God. Now, providence is a doctrine we looked at the first week. That's the, the idea that, that God maintains and keeps and cooperates with created things. And he is at work in the midst of created things. And his purposes are always fulfilled. So the next time you're ready to be chicken little and the sky is falling, let's recognize we serve a, the God who's living and active and working. And this is what Ezra teaches us. The, the, the temple rebuild is the direct fulfillment of God's prophecy. We, and, and, and it's so very cool. Now, if when you look at this Ezra 5 and 6, let's do a quick quick recap of it. Um, you can break it down into four parts. You know, Ezra, um, the first five verses talk about more opposition. Ezra 5. Uh, uh, these, these, now, let's think about this. These events took place between 520 and 516 B.C. So think about that mathematically. 520, 516 B.C. is verses 1 through 5. Um, and, and they talk about this uh, those rebuilding the temple and, and, and how they're coming back to obey the prophets. And, and the rest of the chapter, they, it's these two letters that are written, these letters that are written to, to the rebuilders. They wrote to Darius. Chapter 6, 1 through 12, talk about how Darius went and found the letter from Cyrus that was a long time ago. And in and, 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 and 13 through 22, we see how the people of, of God, they completed the temple and they, they celebrated with the Passover. That's Ezra 5 and 6. Now what's important is that the books of Haggai and Zechariah, these prophets, God's people are going back to what the prophets had said. I want you to look at verses 1 in Ezra 5. Look at this. Now the prophets... Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Now, now what's interesting is... is Notice the obedience in verse 2, in verse, chapter 5, verse 2. They, they hear the words of the prophets, and notice what they did. Two things, two verbs there. They arose, and they began. You know what I kept thinking about? Lord, am I that quick to respond to your prophets? Am I that quick to respond to your word? And we gotta, we gotta feel this a minute. There is serious cultural tension. The work of the, of, the, of the temple had stopped because they were afraid. 
And they, they listened. They hear Haggai and Zechariah and said, ladies and gentlemen, let's get after it. Let's go. Let's arise and let's rebuild. And, and you know what? As I think about this, the, let's, let's remember why they were in exile in the first place. Remember why God's people were in exile? Because they rebelled against God. They disobeyed the Lord. Let's not miss the fact that, that when you disobey the word of God, it always leads you to exile. It's always destructive. And, and we, should, we should pay attention to the, the temptation to rebel against the God who provides for us, the God who protects us, the God who blesses us, the God who guides us, the God who comes close to us. That's what they had done. They'd rebelled against the one who guided, protected, led them, and came close to them. Let's not do that either. Let's not do that. Let's not rebel against the one that comes close to us, that leads us. And, 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 and let's, not, let's not forget that right here, it takes courage to obey the Bible, right? It takes courage to obey, obey God. And let's not, let's not forget, as believers, when I look at the cultural tensions that are in front of us, it's going to require courage for us. And, and we see this ancient example of courage. Look at, look at Ezra 3 and 4, 5, 3 and 4. At the same time, Tatanai, the governor in the province beyond the river, and, and Shethazar Banzai, or whatever you say that guy's name, I'm not sure, um, I went to seminary, and I don't know how you say that name. And their associates came to them and spoke to them thus. So these, these antagonistic leaders, they come, and what do they say? Who gave you a decree to build this house to finish this structure? Remember, the culture, they didn't want them to do it. They were fighting against them. And they arose and began. They said, who, who told you you could start this? They also asked them this. What are the names of the men who are building this temple. Look at verse four. What are their names? What are your names? You know, this is a, this required some obedience. They had to put their name on the line because you know what he was about to do? He was about to go to Darius to go, look, they are disobeying you. And Darius would have their names. I think about how many of us would stand up in, that, in the face of that kind of tension. You know what I heard about a Christian pastor and his wife this week that were brought outside of their home in Afghanistan and stood before their children and shot and killed because they were Christians. I'll tell you what, I wonder, this was that kind of moment. Ezra 5, 3, and 4 was that kind of moment. Hey, how would we respond in that kind of moment? How would we, what would we say? Would we say, let me, let me help you spell my name. C-H-R-I-S-W-A-L-L, big boy. And this is where I'll be. Have a good day. Get out of my way because I got something to build here. I'm inspired by them. But, but you know what? Here's the deal. 
when we pay attention to these prophets, you know what happens to the lives of believers? We start to act boldly. Folks, we need some boldness. Now, we don't need to be boneheads, right? We don't need to be jerks. Because I, I'll be honest with you, I would have the tendency to get chippy and to get lippy. But, but let me tell you something, as believers right now, there's gonna be some moments where boldness will be required. But you know what, when you hear the prophets, they're, they're, you get confidence over criticism. And I'll tell you, when you follow the Lord, when you go back to his word, uh, there's confidence over criticism. And, and the truth is, as I look at the landscape of our culture, and I'm a half full kind of person, glass half full kind of person, but, but let me tell you something. We're going to need this kind of boldness moving forward. Let's not miss that. Look at verse 5. But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. Because you know what's so cool about this? They were like, we're, we're following the Lord. God was pleased and honored. And I'll tell you, that's the thing that I pray that we have in our mind. Lord, we, we will honor you above anything else. Isn't that how you want to live your life? With the eye of the Lord on you? You know what picture I have in my mind? This may be silly, but this resonates with me. It so resonates with me. Because I, I remember when my kids were little, and, my, and we'd be at the pool, and, and my son would say, Dad, watch me. Watch me. And he would jump off the diving board, and we'd go, yay, good job, Eric. Dad, watch me. You know the way I want to serve the Lord? Hey, Lord, watch us. Watch us, Lord. Oh, that, that's the kind of son I want to be to the Savior that died for me. Don't you want to be the, live, build the kind of church that you can say, Lord, watch me. That resonates with my heart. It reminds me of that moment in Peter and the apostles in Acts 5. As they were, as they were, uh, telling people about Jesus. And those religious leaders came and said, hey, shut your mouth. Hey, be quiet. Stop doing this. Stop going into those places and, and talking about Jesus. And, and they arrested him and they drug him out there. And you know, in Acts 5, 29 and 30, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed hanging on a tree. Man, that's boldness. That's like, hey, Lord, watch me. And you know, the Bible says that they were, God protected them even though they were flogged. That's called the bummer of a day when you were flogged, right? They were still flogged and they still took a beating. And let me tell you something, we, we may take some beatings, but we still need to be living our lives going, Lord, watch me. Hey, Lord, watch me. I love this book of Ezra. 
because it's so relevant to us. And, and I'll tell you, I, I really believe at some point in our lives in the United States of America, I believe we will see a time where this kind of boldness is required. Now, we've got to hustle because I'm, all, I'm not finished with my message. But let's notice Haggai and Zechariah. These are prophets that had some very clear messages. And if you could just spit, just kind of pull back and say, what's the big message of Haggai? What's the big message of Zechariah? Haggai had a clear rebuke. Haggai was looking at God's people and saying, look, you guys messed up. You rebelled. Zechariah was, was, a, was a clear message of hope that, that look, this temple, this, this altar that you are rebuilding, this temple that you are rebuilding, it is going to play a significant role in our deliverance. And Zechariah gets these messages over and over again about the Messiah that's going to come. And, and, and so it's interesting as you think about these two ideas that, that it's important to, to lean into the rebuke of God. And I'm grateful there was a moment that God rebuked me and God confronted Chris Wall and said, Chris, you're a sinner and you need a Savior. And this is why I've learned the joy and the blessing of leaning into conviction. And I hear pressure as sometimes preachers get that say, hey, don't talk about sin. Just talk about encouraging things. Don't confront with sin. Don't confront with judgment and, and, and eternal punishment. But those things are spoken of in the Bible. And God tells us that, that sin is our greatest problem. And so we've learned to lean into Haggai in that, in that, that conviction, that that rebuke from God. So if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, oh my goodness, I want you to know that there's a Savior who came because you're a sinner, because you're not good in and of yourself. Look at Ezra 5, 11 and 12. Because I love their, their posture here. It says, we are the servants of the God of heaven and earth and are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But, but since our fathers angered the God of heaven, he handed them over to the king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, the Chaldean who destroyed this temple and deported people to Babylon. And I love their posture here because this is God's people looking back at the generation before. And they didn't blame them. They didn't say, oh man, our, our ancestors were, were idiots. They rebelled. No, they said, we're kind of the same way. Their posture is one of repentance. They're not blaming anybody. And, and, and they take the rebuke of Haggai, and what they do is they include themselves here. I think that's interesting. And, and then right in front of their eyes, they point the world to the Savior that was coming, forgiveness that was available, the, the, the altar of forgiveness, the blood that would cover their sins. And you know what? Um, so interesting as, as God's people right here, they, they, you, you see the rest of chapter 6, these letters, they, they were taken to Darius. And, and, and it's interesting as, as, as the rest of chapters 5 and 6, these, are, uh, these letters and these testimonies to God, at this, um, they're, they're just watching God work all these things out. I want you to notice verse, chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. Darius, the, the reason why it was difficult to give their name 
The reason it was risky to give their name is Darius, he was ruthless. You got to realize these kings were not followers of Yahweh going, hey, I want to follow the Lord. They were political figures. They were ruthless men. They were tyrants. But they did a search and they've kept their laws. Laws was a big, law was a big deal. And when a, when a king made a, a proclamation, they said, we got to keep it. And notice verse 11, chapter 6. He says, also, I make a decree. So Darius finds out, hey, look, you need to rebuild this temple. So it backfired on, on these pagan people that were saying, let's stop the work of God. And they go try to do it. And they say, we've got proof. And what happens is it backfired. Let's remember that as people say, update your Bible. You see over and over again in culture, when people stay true to the word of God, that's always, that's always prosperous. That's always better. It backfires when you don't keep the word of God. But notice this. Darius is so ticked. He said, also, I make a decree that if anyone alters the edict, because he said, you're going to go build it and, everything, and, and don't stop them. He says, here's the edict. A beam, if you stop this, a beam shall be pulled out of his house and he shall be impaled on it and his house shall be made a dunghill. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy the house that God, of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree, let it be done in, with all diligence. And what's crazy about this is you see God using these pagan kings like a pawn on a chessboard. And I'll tell you, God keeps his word. And let's notice a couple of verses real quick, and then we got to come in for a landing. Notice verse 16 in chapter 6. And the people of Israel, the priests and Levites, and the, rest of the, uh, and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. Verse 22, and they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. You know what's so crazy about this? If you would have said to them years before, hey, you know what? The king of Assyria is going to help you honor God. They'd be like, you're crazy. Those guys are ruthless. They like take people's, take a beam out of people's houses and impale them on it and, uh, and then throw poop all over their houses. That's great, right? What a great man. But God orchestrated his hand. God orchestrates history. God moves leaders. You know what I've been praying this week? I don't even know. We were praying the other night, Wednesday night in our prayer time. We were just praying for this pastor and his family that were killed. Like, Lord, I don't even know how to pray for this. But we prayed for God to give one of those executioners a Paul-like revelation. No, I don't know if God will do that. But that's something I'm trying to remind myself to pray for. 
for that executioner because his greatest need is a savior. And you know what? When I think, when I read Ezra 5 and 6, you know what I keep coming back to? And this is something God's teaching us and if we can just land here, church family, God is teaching us that he is in control. Know that. His word is true every time. Let's study it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's put it into practice and we don't update it. You know, when I think about this and I wrestle this with this, honoring the word of God works. It works. And that's why when regardless of the circumstances that come our way, regardless of the people that I've been praying for this week with COVID that are watching at home because they just got out of the hospital. And there's, there's a couple. God, God's word works. Following Christ works. And what, why does that work? Because when you follow the Lord, when you come to Christ... The power of God rests on you. And I want you to know how to live life with the power of God in your life. Because let me tell you something. When those, that couple was brought out and shot in Afghanistan, let me tell you something. The Bible gives us a window in Acts 7 about where God was when Stephen was killed. And you know what God was doing? Standing ovation from the king of all kings. Oh my goodness, what an ending. What an ending. Though we look at this and go, oh my goodness, how tragic and tragic it is. But let's step back and recognize this from eternity. You realize this world's not our home, right? Don't you know that? You realize that this day you draw your last breath, that's not the end, right? I'll tell you what, the provision of God is unstoppable. So the next time we get all bent out of shape about, oh my goodness, we're, the sky's falling, our country's, we're going to hell. There are people going to hell. Let's, do, let's, let's, let's let that wake us up. Let's, ar- let's arise. Let's get up. Start doing some serving. Because let me be honest with you. Goodness gracious. I'm not a, I'm, I have my gun license too, right? But the call of believers is not to arm ourselves to go shoot somebody. The call we have as believers is like Jim Elliott. You know Jim Elliott? I keep thinking of more stuff to talk about today. <laughs> Jim Elliott was that missionary that flies into that beach that day. They had a gun with them as those, those tribal members came to attack them with spears. There's a cool documentary called End of the Spear. You've got to watch it. And, and they come and they, they were like, we're not going to shoot them. Because if they kill us, we'll just go to heaven. If we shoot them, they'll, they'll go to hell. That's not acceptable. And so... Look, 
let's, when we get all bent out of shape and want to arm up and go shoot somebody, let's remember that the work of God is unstoppable. And our call to this world is to love our enemies, do good to those who persecute us. That's what Jesus said. And let me tell you something, this impact is, is something you don't want to miss, and neither do I. Now, we just need to stop there. I've got a really good ending. <laughs> but oh, I don't want you to miss this kind of impact. God is calling us to these days. God has prepared us for these days. And I'm so blown away how relevant the time of Ezra is to 2021. Oh my goodness. Don't miss this adventure of following the Lord. You see, what they did in chapter 6, they celebrated the Passover. It's Passover. You know what the Passover is, right? It's when they look backwards, when the blood of the Lamb covered their homes and God rescued them from death itself. You know what the Passover does? It's good to look back at the Passover, but, but the Passover looks forward. The Passover looked forward at the blood of the lamb that would come and, and take away the sin of the world. And, and not just be on your house, but your heart, your life. And then Passover moves us to look at the cross. And the cross is... For us, it looks, we look back on the moment that, I look back at the moment that I met Jesus. That Christ saved me, and, and, and I look back at that moment. Can you look back at that moment in your life when Christ saved you? See, because the blood of the Lamb, the Passover, moves me to, to look back, but it also moves me to look forward. Look, there's going to be a day that Christ comes back. And folks, as real as we're sitting here, there's going to be a day a trumpet sounds. And, and I'll tell you, the day of, what a day that will be. But you know that right now we're in a day of grace. We're in a time for us to be believers and be walking with the Lord, close to the Lord. That's why we got to respond to the Lord today. Oh my goodness. So it's Labor Day. Of course God's going to move today. It's Labor Day. Do you need Jesus? Oh man, we, that's why we're here. To help you. Do you need to come back to the Lord? Oh man, don't waste another moment being away from the Lord. Oh my goodness, don't waste another moment. Would you stand where you are? Father, for those that are watching online, thank you that we can come into homes like this. 
Lord, thank you for moving in our midst. Thank you for your word. Lord, we love you. And we look to you. And we pray that you would move us right now, Jesus. And it's in your name. Amen.